I'm Daniel Chacon. Welcome to another edition of Words on a Wire. Today, my guest is the legendary Ana Castillo. She is the author of multiple award-winning books, including So Far From God, The Mixwaiwa Letters, Black Dove, Mama, Mijo, and Me, The Guardians, Peel My Love Like an Onion, and many, many other books. Today, we're going to talk about her latest book of poems, My Book of the Dead. I am very honored to be able to speak today with Ana Castillo. Words on a Wire. Words on a Wire. 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 Ana, welcome to Words on a Wire. Let's talk. Let's let's talk about the book. Uh, this new book, which is called My Book of the Dead. Um, and it's also the title of the last poem, which, by the way, blew me away. And we'll get to that in a minute. Maybe we can look at some of the some of the lines and talk a little bit about the process of how you got that poem. But you named the whole book My Book of the Dead. And of course, it's going to evoke such works as the Egyptian Book of the Dead and the Tibetan Book of the Dead and other books of the dead or or journeys into the beyond. And so I'm wondering, are you in any way dialoguing with these books or adding to them uh, only through kind of a Chicanisma perspective, which, by the way, is is uh, one of the words that you coined, uh, but that has become a really important uh, word in how many Latinx people understand their reality. But are you dialoguing with these 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 ancient texts? You know, when you ask that question, uh, Daniel, you remind me of one of my favorite quotes. Um, it was by Umberto Eco uh, in the Name of the Rose, where he said that, you know, people think that they're dialoguing with books, but it's books that dialogue with other books. <laughs> and I, you know, and I, I, I completely get it that my book of the dead, I, I don't even remember exactly the moment the title came to me, but it felt so appropriate um, I have the Tibetan Book of the Dead next to my bed and on my little uh, book be- uh, book stand. So obviously, I am um, intimate and familiar with um, those great works, those legacies. And I thought for a second that perhaps I shouldn't name this book uh, what I did because it would be necessarily associated with with those um, with those uh, works. However, I do have a a long poem uh, in the book, as you mentioned, My Book of the Dead. And uh, it does allude to our history, yours and mine, and many of those of us of Mexican ancestry would would agree. Uh, It's uh, Mayan and Mexica uh, references in, in the poem, My Book of the Dead, of the beliefs of our ancestors as far as the past uh, is concerned Mm -hmm. and um, what some of us have resurrected and look at um, and the life after this life. How do we get to paradise? Um, But I think that I feel that the title poem for the book, my book of the dead was very appropriate uh, because of the times, uh, the pandemic, of course, which we're still living through, and um, climate change and 
the ongoing, almost commonplace catastrophes that are going on because our planet is also um, mortal and um, being threatened every day um, by human actions. And then there's also the immediate personal reference to our friends and family who have uh, passed on, sometimes because of the pandemic, but also for other reasons that, um, you know, why death comes to us. But I don't know anybody in this era that hasn't experienced loss in some form or other. Uh, And so I do think that my book of the dead works um, for this, uh, for this era. Yeah, I I completely agree because the the title poem at the end may be my book of the dead, but the whole book is called my book of the dead. And it all really kind of goes at times to dark, you know, pretty dark places uh, uh, to, um, you know, like, like, I I guess, almost like Dante walking through hell, only hell is 2020 or whatever's going on at the time. you wrote one time or, or, or were quoted as, as, as saying, it was not all premeditated. I just started writing and it got out of hand. <laughs> I love that, especially the got out of hand uh, uh, aspect of it. Uh, when you wrote this poem, specifically my book of the dead, did you find it getting out of hand and going places that you didn't expect? You know, the, um, some poems that I've written, even uh, a long time ago that are, you know, before this book, uh, I remember the exact moment that the, that I sat down and you know went to my computer or, or was traveling and pulled out a pen out of my bag and and began writing it. And I don't. In this case, I do not remember when I sat down. I mean, it was in recent history, very recent history, and yet I don't remember when wow. I sat down and I'm going to start writing this poem. And it got out of hand and went on for pages. I even thought about uh, the possibility of of having expanded it and made it a book unto itself. Um, But I don't remember it. I I only know that in terms of revisions, it made the cut. Not all of my poems (laughs) make the cut by me, first and foremost. And so, yes, I included it. I remember feeling good about it and um and and being you know in that in that modest and private way we are sometimes of some of our works and in my case i don't feel that way about you know everything that i write uh, but uh, i remember having all of that feeling and it was just a few years ago two or three years ago but i don't remember what was the impetus like why wow. i'm gonna sit down and write <laughs> this poem um, but I, I feel like it all, uh, in the end, as I said, I felt that it all came together. Um, I neglected to mention that I also um, uh, the, connected the, the Book of the Dead subject with uh, gun violence in this country, mm-hmm. uh, massacres in, in schools and public spaces. And, um, of course, uh, El Paso experienced that tragically and horrifically a few years ago. And also with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so uh, it, it's come to us in so many different ways. 
Right, yeah. right. You know, you said that 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 it could have been a book in itself. And as I was reading it, I felt that, too. And I thought, my God, if you wanted to, you could really enter into this more deeply and, and, and stay there for a long time, because only you can do this. Only you could have written this book. And I, I, I imagine it's a book that you couldn't have written 20 years ago that that it, it, that, you know, you have you know, you have access to these worlds that, uh, that, that, you know, you have been, I guess, developing, you know, over a lifetime, spiritually, intellectually, creatively. And, um, yeah, it's, it's an epic poem. It's a beautiful, epic poem. Thank you. I appreciate that. There's something to be said about aging. Um, as much as I feel there's a lot of, uh, um, uh, negative feelings. Let's put, we'll just put it that way. There's a lot of <laughs> negativity against the the boomer generation, or even now the millennials. And there's this ageism that goes on, and this yeah. selective uh, opinion of uh, who's wise and who's not. Um, as a poet, I feel that if you continue working, and if you continue reading, and continue working on your craft, um, it has to get better, and you have to bring it all together. And and yes, you're very right. There, there's been time for me in my life with the losses in my life to to reflect upon it. The subject of of the of the poem uh, has been with me for a very long time since my early twenties when I first had the opportunity to teach in a, at a community college, uh, pre-Columbian civilizations of Mexico, and it's been a lo long long life of, of studying the subject, you are very right that it, it could be a book and it should be, it should be given that amount of space, given the, the, right. the depth and the subject. Um, but I, 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 I feel like almost like a bird that was just dipping into those waters, <laughs> you know, right. while I was writing those, those brief moments without explaining very much what's going on. These, you know, this is a, a tremendous history that we've inherited and hasn't been given the time and the space as, let's say, uh, the Egyptian Book of the Dead uh, or, or Greek history, Greek mythology, the way we, we have that opportunity because their works are there and preserved and our works have not been entirely right. preserved. Right. We know so little of it. Yeah, you know, I, I couldn't help but... Uh, want to go back into Massacre of the Dreamers, which is, you know, an incredibly influential book on the uh, the intellectual and spiritual lives of uh, the Chicanx people. Uh, and I would love to someday revisit that book and have a conversation with you about it if that opportunity ever comes up or if you're ever interested in it. But but when I entered into this landscape of the poem, I'm still talking about the poem itself, although again, my book of the dead is the entire book and everything makes sense. Everything kind of, you know, uh, uh, fits together. But when you enter into this landscape, you're, you, you get this feeling you're entering into something huge that really exists, even if it exists in another realm that, that, that may not be, you know, our everyday place, although it is every day as well. Like there's this one line where you say, you, you know, you're describing these, you know, entering into this world and, and you have this line, Two mountains clashed like charging bulls. That is so powerful. Do you remember writing that line or did that just that like, you read it later and go, were you blown away by it? <laughs> I don't 
I don't remember reading, writing the line, but I do. I can tell you that um, in the um, in in the beliefs of our ancestors, uh, this is one of the many hells that um, a soul has to go through, and they will see mountains clashing like that, fighting mm. against each other. So a lot of that comes from the horrific afterlife that our ancestors imagined for all of us to have to pass through before we reach paradise. Yeah, it reminds me of this, this scripture that I, that I remember, I don't know why I remember it, but it was, you know, de depicting, you know, uh, some sort of hell. And it said that you'll pray for the rocks to fall on you. <laughs> it's yeah, it's so bad that you wish you could die again. Well, I think what it does um, it, 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 in these times it verifies for us that there is life after life. How, however you want to imagine it, choosing your personal beliefs or your religion, or if you want to look at these books that we've mentioned or this, you know, our own history um, before the, the conquest here, uh, there is something, there was, there was a belief. Now, moving forward with, um, with, also what's going on with the planet. And now, of course, yeah. there's, there's ventures to go and conquer other planets. We know that there will be life after this planet also, which our ancestors may not have imagined. Right. So I think what we can say from these poems is there is life after death. Right. There is life after this life, however you may want to imagine it. You know, I can't help but think of, um, uh, you know, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. I'm, and then, of course, I'm not an expert. I've just kind of glanced through it a few times. But this idea that the, your state of consciousness, you, you know, which is, of course, highly influenced by your emotional and physical state, uh, is what you bring into the afterlife, at least initially. So that if you're if you die horrified or, or full of fear, then you're going to kind of project a landscape of that. And perhaps that, you know, in your in your poem, it's like you have to go through that in order to arrive at a place where I guess consciousness and eternity kind of meet. You know, I don't know, because, you know, I just, you know, whoever the creators were, the writers and the many, many writers over a period of time in the Bible and all these different um, legacies that we've received, contemplations, reflections. I don't know because it's a matter of imagination and information that you have at the time. Right. Um, I, I myself, I wrote about it in, in my book, Black Dove. Uh, they were personal essays. I wrote. Yeah. Uh, we talked about that on an on an earlier show. Yeah. It's still available. <laughs> we had a conversation in that in that book. I, I wrote a personal essay called "When I Died in Oaxaca," and I did have a near death experience. And what I can say was um, that it was uh, that it was really wonderful, and mm, it's so beautiful. wonderful. Some of those. <laughs> Some of those uh, near-death experience that you hear, you hear that people say they don't want to come back. And uh -huh. that was my feeling. My feeling uh -huh. was I really didn't want to come back. Um, I was so alleviated from any physical uh, pain or burden um, and, and a, an entirely connected place with the universe. So that was my experience. So getting back to, to what you just said, if in fact that's that's what happens when you die. I'm so glad that at least at that moment, I had I had this uh, this utopic experience. Right. So 
maybe that <laughs> that, that, uh, that was a, uh, spoke more to my my state of mind than yeah. anything else. I don't know. Yeah, and that's kind of the I think the whole point of the Tibetan Book of the Dead it specifically is to guide the those who are about to die so they don't have to experience those particular stages and they can go directly to to peace. And you know, it kind of strikes me that those religions that claim the most uh, a free entry to heaven are also the ones who will lament a 100 year old person dying and thinking it's the devil, you know, whereas dying, you know, is simply part of the entire thing. And if your religion was, you know, uh, your, you know, if your religion was your true spirituality, I don't think you would fear death as much. I don't know. Like I said, I think, I mean, there's, there's a, a thousand ways that, that we could, you know, we can look at this, um, at this question um, and, uh, you know, hordes of people have followed, you know, one or the other. And, and at the end of the day, they, they can't come back and tell us whether right. they were right or wrong. Yeah. Unless you can communicate with the dead, which some people do think they, they can do, although I am not. And that, would be all, that would be all their story. Then. We'd have a whole different book, the Book you of know, the Spirits. In, in this book, uh, uh, in the poem, My Book of the Dead, uh, I'm not sure if this question is going to make any sense. So if it doesn't, we can just move on. But you have a section four and it's two lines in parentheses. And the lines say, demons yet abound, belching havoc and distress, tens of thousands blown by gales of disgrace. But what really struck me is that word yet. Uh, demons yet abound almost evokes a kind of maybe even biblical or literarily traditional language as opposed to demons still abound. And I'm wondering if at times when you were writing this, if you found language asserting itself from maybe different texts or different uh, uh, entities, you know, whatever language you want to use. And if you had issues negotiating with which language you let in and which language you keep out. And or even if it was just in the revision process, I don't know, again, if that question makes any sense. Um, I, yes, it does make sense to me. And I do try to be, um, especially in the revision process, as you know, try to be careful with, uh, with my language. And I am certain that I chose the word yet uh, intentionally. Yeah, it's and, brilliant. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. It's so subtle, but what it does is it really connects me to, I don't know, it's kind of, it, it's expansive somehow. Well, uh, there is a difference between that because um, still what puts you into that place in which you're in the, in the, in the middle of it, and, and yet is, is reminding you of something that, um, that you experienced before. Right, and right. You're being yeah. reminded of it. So, um, uh, again... In, in in my own readings, and I and I am also not an expert, but in my own readings of our ancestors' uh, beliefs of the afterlife, um, and you know they did have as great beliefs as Christianity did later on in demons and devils right. uh, with different names, uh, but they brought them uh, to confront us even in the afterlife. I suppose to make sure we were brave enough and worthy. <laughs> Right. eternal paradise before we would be able to earn it yeah and then you have this beautiful line towards the end of the poem where you say you, you talk about this the variations of black um 
you know, and as we know, black contains all colors, you know, and, and, but you say God dwelled there, a God of two heads, female and male pulled out arrows that pierced skin on my trek. And I love that, that the, that the God, uh, the they, God is a they, uh, throughout my trek, uh, was merciful, pulled those arrows and this kind of, you know, um, you know, um, sorry, you know, um, in, in my novel, So Far From God, I, um, which was uh, called by, by some reviewers and critics as magical realism, I've always pointed out that um, my quote-unquote magical realist uh, scenes were, were directly from Christianity. <laughs> uh, and if you believe in the stories in the Bible, then you must believe in magical realism and right. vice versa. And by the same token here, um, I, I find that interesting, too, about the blackness, because that's part of our ancestors' belief, this, this, this blackness. You know, they, um, they knew so much about uh, the stars, um, uh, the constellations and other planets. It, right. It's phenomenal. To, right. to the extent that they have predicted these times. We thought the world would end in, in uh, 2012, and here we are in 2021, but we're having these um, ongoing uh, catastrophes and so forth, so close enough. And yet, they had not yet um, discovered what um, the, the conquistadors had just discovered, and that was that the world was not flat. And so they may have, this is just a conjecture, but they may have been thinking, well, beyond here, beyond the horizon is, is darkness, and darkness has all shades and colors. That's all I can say about that, because I am actually taking from their beliefs in what they, in what they said would happen. And you would have this arsenal of arrows. This is what you have in defense of these demons and blackness. Right. And the two-headed god is, uh, is, is, uh, is the god that many people have discovered uh, what's the belief of the Mexica people of, of mm -hmm. a male and a female God that right. ruled the, the universe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and also, you know, what I can't help but think of is, um, you know, it took physicists, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know, many, many generations to arrive at this blackness, you know, now they're saying that the universe is made up of, you know, over 90% of black energy and black matter, which, you know, can't really be seen. Uh, and they don't really know what it is. But that is what is beyond uh, our experience of the cosmos, which is kind of funny, if you think about it. Well, well, that's why I say that, even though uh, people were all worked up for 2012 and all oh, the Mayans predicted this and then and then it didn't happen. Oh, well, it didn't happen. What did they know? Well, they knew a lot. And I think that 2021 and we're beginning to see the things that we are um, that are going on with the the um, urgency of, of checking um, climate change and so forth. I think close enough. They they did make those predictions that. But again, that's because they were studying around them. The right. sky, um, and and weren't weren't as aware of, of the the ground that they were on, so to speak. Um, so so uh, you know that's that was uh, that was their perspective. Right, right, and and then you have this poem which 
is one of my favorites in the whole book, although it's hard to really say one of my favorites because there's so many of them that really pop out at me. But it's called How to Tell You Are Living Under Rising Fascism, a Basic Primer in Progress. And this is a great poem, not only because, well, the writing itself, but if you were to really honestly get a list together of what makes the regime fast fascist, this would be 100% accurate. The very first line is protests are called riots. I mean, that's what they did with the, the BLM movement, right? I mean, if there was a protest, that's it. It's a, it's a riot and there's, you know, and all this, but the whole list. And, and so I'm just wondering about this poem, how it came to you and, and what it means to you. Uh, uh, well, I would like to, yeah, I'd like to share something about that because in retrospect, yes, you can say, oh yes, that's exactly what happened, check. <laughs> you know, with, with, after George Floyd. But I wrote this poem actually um, a couple of years before that. Um, I, I've told this story before, and, and um, you may have been in the audience in Salamanca, Spain, when, when I share this story. Um, but many years ago, um, a, a dear friend uh, who was born during um, World War II in Germany uh, and, and, and became somewhat of a of a, of, a, of a mentor for me in a way uh, in Germany. Uh, and I had a discussion and this was during the Reagan administration. And, you know, I was very uh, opposed to the Reagan administration. And I had said something about this fascist government. And I remember, the, uh, again, the, the moments that we remember, and we don't remember. And I remember how he sat up and said, don't ever call this fascism you don't know what fascism is. And having him having lived through that in Germany during those years, I respected that very much. And, mm -hmm. and you know, continue to read and research and think and contemplate and reflect. And, and we get to this point in the beginning of the last administration's era, um, I saw the signs immediately like week one, you know, before week one. And I wrote that poem because I felt that this is this is it. Now I know that that wasn't it. This will be it. And what I wrote at that time, which I think I added, it was an incomplete list, was what I was speculating. And then we got to see it verified and, and more things there. Right. And we're not out of the woods yet uh, by any means. And right. I, I'm very happy that I, I've, I've been able to contribute in a small way through my poet's voice, some of this awareness, because I, I do hope that people uh, who come to my uh, work know that um, I have given a lot of thought, a lot of right. re reflection on, on these things. And I don't say them lightly. I would never say that the, the last administration uh, was in that was going in the direction of fascism if I really truly didn't believe it. No, I totally understand. In, in fact, one of the things I've always admired about you right from the beginning, from the Mixwala letters to what you're doing now, is your speaking out, speaking out against oppression and speaking out, you know, for the community. And I remember in the early Chicano movement, some of the radicalized uh, uh, Chicanos, this was even before it became the Chicanx movement, you know, when it was still very mill dominated, but they used to call uh, Kennedy a liberal fascist. Uh, and that's, you know, many people were, of course, offended by that. But the fact is that even in the early moments of the movement, it was acknowledged that if 
we didn't have full blown fascism, it was definitely going in that direction. Um, and, it, you know, and with what's been happening in 2020, of course, that's a reinforcement of it, that it's still, you know, it's been there a long time. It didn't just happen with, uh, you know, with Trump, uh, but it certainly is, you know, much more easy to recognize uh, with yes, Trump, for some of us. <laughs> yes. And as I said, we're, we're definitely not out of the, the clear yet. So um, I don't see any any less relevance um, in these thoughts or conversations um, as we would have had them a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, I want to ask you a little bit about the poem for Francisco X. I, I'm assuming this is Alarcón, Francisco Alarcón. Um, but uh, it's, it's a beautiful, tender poem. Uh, I love this line, the gods were carrying off the poet of butterflies in peace. And then that kind of comes up again, that the poet of butterflies in peace. And that really describes him. My God. I mean, obviously, it's more complex than that. But 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 if you wanted to put him in, a, you know, to, to, to talk about him in, and kind of the spiritual uplifting of his poetry, that was it. Uh, uh, Poets of butterflies in peace. Can you talk a little bit about this poem? I wrote the poem in Spanish, um, as as you know, if you if you knew uh, Francisco Alarcón, or if you ever saw him read or had a conversation with him. He was actually born in the United States, but um, I think raised in Mexico, and so his first language seemed to be Spanish. Mm -hmm. He and I always spoke to each other in Spanish. Oh wow! Um, I, I had the opportunity to become friends and to know him personally. In the uh, mid '80s, when I returned to California, I was living in the in the um, in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, specifically after Mission, and so we were, you know, it was a close clique of friends, and uh, we formed. A, a, well, they had formed, and then they asked me to join um, a, a small, little, loose organization. I think it was called Centro Chicano de Escritores. Mm -hmm. uh, Juan Felipe Herrera was part of it, Lucha Corpi, wow. uh, Francisco, myself, um, other people. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the usual suspects dove in and dove out. Dove out. And uh, so we, we did workshops, uh, you know, for the community. And we went out to the files and would read poetry and, and um, visit uh, the schools and, you know, out there and, you know, work with migrant children and so we, you know, we had a close uh, a close relationship, and it just so happened um, we had a conversation uh, one night, and I remember that the late I think uh, his name was John Martinez, the the poet and writer. He won the National Book Award for his Victor, children's Victor book. Martinez. Victor Martinez was there present. I think he may have been the only other person present, and for whatever reason, Francisco and I got into a a, a, dis a heated discussion. And at some point in the discussion, I said that I thought that his, I, I, I don't think I meant it the way it came off. As I said, I thought it was trivial. I felt like I was saying that it was, oh my God. <laughs> that it was sort of uh, it, for you, for youth, you know, there was yeah, something right. simple about these small poems and he, he took it, you know, speaking of uh, carrying your, your arrows in your arsenal, he took it like a, like an arrow wow. into his chest. And we, our friendship was never the same after that. And wow. so, uh, I, and I know that he carried that resentment for the rest of, of, of our lives. Although I had opportunities to, you know, to sit and, 
convivir con él un poquito over the years, a little bit, but never the same as before. And so when I did hear of his passing, I, I do value his contributions and I do see him as the poet. Maybe I should have said that that night. You are the poet of butterflies and peace <laughs> rather than having said whatever I said, because as you know, I use my poetry to a great extent, you know, to just come be confrontational with what I see going on politically. And so maybe that was, that was where I was coming from at that time. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, I, I, I think I was also honest in the poem and said that I, you know, I wasn't going to be hypocritical and say, I'm now I'm going to go cry at your tomb. But right. I did say that he was uh, a very beloved poet for his work. Yeah. And, 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 and when, when I read that line, um, uh, his poetry, um, was childish and even trivial. I couldn't help but think of, you know, I, I, I've seen him read many times. I've even read with him before. Um, and and when he would get up on stage and start reading his poems, they were very short and they were in fact very childlike. And he became childlike as he was reading. It's almost, you could see the kid in him, you know, looking up after each poem, you know, for confirmation. But, but it was like, you could see the child in his eyes shining, you know, and it was a beautiful thing to watch. He enjoyed it so much. Uh, with a with with a childlike enthusiasm, and his spirit kind of remained that way throughout his career. Every time he got up, he was excited, and it kind of, for me, evoked the simplicity of William Blake. Some of his poems, when you look at you know Little Lamb, who created thee. I remember when I was a, a an emerging Chicano poet, and they were teaching William Blake to us. I was thinking, what the heck? This guy's you know this guy's talking about Little Lamb. Come on, give me a break. You know, without you know for me at the time. And recognizing, you know, of course, you know, other things that he did. But yeah, I think I think I would have understood what you were trying to say in that conversation. And, uh, right. and I think the poem is a great honor uh, uh, to his spirit and to even taking the energy that was released in that conversation and ultimately using it for something, you know, good, something positive. Yes, well, I appreciate that. You know, I did, as I said, I did have the opportunity to see him many times after that conversation, but our personal friendship was pretty much over, you know, but we were friendly uh, professionally and, and, you know, always very uh, courteous with each other and so on. Um, but I'm glad that you understood it and that you, you could see what I what my intentions were. I was totally there. Yeah. And I thought it was really beautiful and honest of you to write about it. I don't believe, you know, speaking of my book of the dead and, and of the dead, I have often taken the position in my life having uh, lost people, friends and foes and, and loved ones and, and, and people I've just, you know, known about, uh, but, but, uh, but appreciated in this world. I've taken the position not to be a hypocrite. And so if, if someone that has been unkind to me passes away, of course, I'm not wishing the journey of my book of the dead for them. But on the other <laughs> hand, right. on the other hand, I do wish, you know, wish that they rest in peace. But on the other hand, I'm not going to write a poem and say an ode to this, um, you know, right, this right. great friend that wasn't a great friend. And so, yes, I did feel that. Um, this was a, a few years ago, it was uh, before the pandemic. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, I was be becoming aware of, of people that I knew that were passing away. 
Um, and he was one, I'm, I'm speaking about my generation and, and the generation just before me. And uh, so I, I, I thought it was, uh, I felt it, you know, it was just the day, the way I describe in the poem, with great winds out here, the way you hear them in the desert. And I knew there was something in the air. And, and by the end of the day, I, I got this news and I thought that must have been what I, I was feeling all day. Yeah, and I think yeah, and, and it is and it is a tribute to to a poet because we all hope that as poets and and artists and musicians and and people who have loved this world and this um and this life that the day that we leave that those um that you know we touched will somehow feel our departure right right yeah and and uh uh, from what I remember is, 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 and you mentioned this in the poem, before he would read, he would always face the four directions. And you have yeah. this line where you say, um, uh, uh, like a gust of wind lifting a skirt or blowing away a sombrero. And then you say, e cattle, e, I, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce this, e a cattle's fury uh, or his ecstasy. And... Uh, you know, you could, you know, Google Akatla and find out that that at the, 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 you're you're referring to a god of 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 wind, the uh, the Aztec god of the wind, and he was all about the Aztecs. And yeah. I guess uh, Akat is also associated with Quetzalcoatl. Is that yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's a, he's a version of Quetzalcoatl, and um, and uh, Akatla is uh, the god of wind. And as I just mentioned, I remember that day, this uneasiness that I felt the whole day and the way the winds pick up sometimes, you kind of feel like you're in some kind of a biblical yeah. journey or something. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you can hear it all day long. And as I said, when I, when I heard the news, I thought that must have been what it was. Yeah, you know, I live in El Paso, Texas, as you know, and I believe you're pretty close to me. So you experience this, it gets really windy here. I mean, biblically windy, like you said, Yeah. You know, sometimes where you can't see. And and I've always been, I guess, making the connection between what's going on in the spiritual realms and what's going on you know, uh, when, when wind blows like that and when it rattles and when it rattles and, and it's, uh, uh, you know, one of my favorite uh, etymologies, I guess you could say is, uh, is that the Hebrew word for, for wind, which is ruach is also the wind for the spirit. So the ruach is blowing and blowing, blowing. And it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, to, uh, I don't know. It, it's hard to ignore that. That 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 God or you know two-headed God or whoever you want uh, speaks through the wind. Yes, and and I I do recall that about um, uh, about Francisco. It's you know it's part of the whole. Uh, at least for my generation, our our, our retrieval of our of our ancestors uh, to acknowledge. Uh, some of the traditions as best as we can, and so I I can appreciate that he would he would call upon the blessings of his ancestors before reading. Absolutely, absolutely. And Anna Castillo, uh, this book, my book of the dead, is just it's amazing, and uh, I think um, it's uh, it's it's um, it really contributes to who we know you or how we know you as a, as, as a poet. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I'm wondering if you would be uh, willing to, to read a poem, uh, any poem from this book. Um, I, 
I would be happy to. Is there one in particular that you um, that you had in mind? Well, I have, I really like. Let's see, what is the name of that poem? I really like the. Uh, um, Uh, let me see if I can find it. Oh, <laughs> I like this because it's so funny, but I don't know if you'd want to read it. Men and me. It's a beautiful. It's so funny, and 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 you really make a great point. But I love that. Yeah, the two men and me. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see why you would appreciate it. I'm <laughs> glad you did mention it. So um, I. Uh, I've read everything by Charles Bukowski, uh, all his poetry. I always admired his poetry and, and went back to it, uh, but I had not read his fiction. And I read all his fiction uh, about a few summers, like five summers ago or so, uh, and the same sum summer that I was also reading everything by Roberto Bolaño. Um, and of course, when I get into uh, any, um, any uh, author, any writer, I, I have to know something about their lives. And so I've read something about their lives. And, and of course, they were both bad boys, probably <laughs> awful to the women that they were involved with. But, the, you know, and you ask this question, we, we're forced to ask this question about the artist. Picasso, for example, he's notoriously been, you know, was notoriously awful with, with all the women in his life. And how do you separate the art from the individual? And right. so, um, but then at the end of the day, I thought to myself, well, we'll probably all end up in hell and I'll meet them there. <laughs> so, who am I to judge? So it's called Two Men and Me. I left Bukowski again, went back to Bolaño. Both men, bad to their women. Me, like the rest, couldn't get enough. Both smoked and drank themselves to death. I'm sorry, I'm gonna to have to start again because I just got a, a little dog that came in. <laughs> oh, how cute. Okay, I'll start again. I left Bukowski again, went back to Bolaño. Both men bad to their women. Me, like the rest, couldn't get enough. Both smoked and drank themselves to death. They liked it rough said that was how they got their best writing done. One winter, we all ended up in hell, ran into each other at a cafe, brackets, revision, bar, public bath, fill in the blank. Chuck wanted to fuck. Roberto punched him in the gut. We quaffed a few whiskeys. They knew, I knew. I wasn't that kind of gal. Instead, we set out to do a three-way poem. Tu primero, said Bolaño. What? Yukowski said. No comprendo. How fucked up you gotta be you can't understand Spanish even in hell, Roberto was mad. You illegals. The other started racial, racializing the situation. No wonder he was in hell. Then again, we all were. I'm not Mexican, pinche gringo, Roberto yelled, throwing another swing. This time he got me in the eye by mistake. There are no mistakes in hell, the demon bartender said, handing me some ice. That's the beauty of this place. The guys stopped. No one had ever seen ice in hell. Yeah, it was the start of something big. 
I tell you, I am going to, uh, I, I love that. I, I'm going to quote this poem. Uh, probably <laughs> I could, I could sense. And the line I'm going to quote is how fucked up you got to be. You can't understand Spanish even in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Before we before we say goodbye, I do want to um, uh, bring homage to this poem you wrote called What is Your Writing Process? As a writer, I understand how incredibly privileged I am to have the time to write uh, because I know a lot of working people as creative as they may be and as 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 much as they may want to to write or to create art they just they're working so damn hard that they can't have the opportunity and this poem i i'm guessing is the is in the, in the perspective of a woman who has poetry in her heart but has to work and it's it's beautiful because what is your writing process and she starts off with mop in one hand cocktail in the other and it's 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 writing while you're surviving and living and it's it, it it's it's a really powerful poem well i i, I appreciate that i I do do a lot of my own housework, so that's not that far away from <laughs> the writing process. But, you know, the reason why my generation of, of Chicano writers, uh, almost all of us ex exclusively started out as poets, was precisely for that reason, because you could have the frijoles on the stove uh, while the baby was napping uh, or being in class if you were trying to get, you know, through college or school or finish high school and you had your notebook and could be scribbling there. Or in my case, I had a, 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 an office job with a one, what was then was like this wonderful thing, this electric typewriter. <laughs> and, and I loved it. <laughs> so you'd see me like crazy, look like I was working um, in the office and I was really, you know, learning how to write. And so... Um, so that's that's why we uh, we started with poetry because it was something you could do in between all the rest of the work and uh, and nobody would notice and it also doesn't take a lot of money for supplies right. you don't have to have a computer a printer uh, in terms of art supplies canvas and paints are very expensive and so mm -hmm. uh, writing with a with your pen and a notebook is very easy when you're when you're working on poetry and you don't have to exile yourself in paris and <laughs> all that other stuff yeah it yeah, reminds you read about those things and then you think oh poor me but you don't have to exactly as you said yeah and it reminds me of one of the most beautiful images i have of the great tony morrison who is you know to me one of you know one of the the greatest to ever live uh and uh the image is, is her single mother raising her children and bringing them through the day. Uh, and then at the end of the day, sitting down and writing, uh, you know, her first novels. It's like, wow. I had, I had, I had the great opportunity when my son, um, who is a father now, uh, was maybe six years old. And I had the wonderful opportunity of of uh, meeting uh, Toni Morrison and wow. and um, talking with her personally. It was over dinner uh, when I was in California. I was invited as a few people that, you know, from the university there. And she connected with me on that basis. And I told her that, you know, I just had somebody take, taking care of my little boy. I had to get back. And she told me about her. Her sons were young men, maybe teenagers or a little older at the time. And she just hugged me and said, 
she knew so much, you know, what I was uh, feeling and experiencing at that moment because of uh, her having raised, you know, her boys. Uh, and it was more recent back then, of course. And so I, I, I always picture her that way. Wow. I always identify with her in the, in the same way of, of what it takes, not only as single parents, as single women, but also as women of color in this, in this world, because um, you can be seen as a mother and you can also be seen as a single mother, but to be um, a, a single mother with such highfalutin aspirations of wanting to be a writer or, or achieve something else in, uh, 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 of a certain level in your field is, is sort of out of the question in the society. Mm-hmm. And um, we've each had to uh, break those molds, so to speak, um, to make it possible for, for other people, but also for the world to see that that's, that that's uh, possible. Right. I'm talking to Ana Castillo, and her book of poems is called My Book of the Dead. Ana, thank you so much for joining me on Words on a Wire. And I just have to say that, uh, you know, one of the privileges of my career has been to to be able to meet you uh, uh, several times here and there around the world. It's, it's always a privilege, uh, and I always feel like I'm in the presence of, of greatness. And so thank you for all you've done. Well, gracias, Daniel, and thank you, too, for all you do, and felicidades on all your, your achievements as well. Thank you. Appreciate that. I'd like to thank Ana Castillo for joining me on Words on a Wire. It's always an honor to talk to somebody uh, as brilliant and productive uh, prolific as her the new book is called my book of the dead and don't forget every book that you hear about on words on a wire will be sold at the literary bookshop right here in el paso texas i'm daniel chacon see you next time on words on a wire